Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host as always, Daniel Levy. And today we're going to be talking about UFC 284, Islam Makhachev versus Alexander Volkanovsky for the undisputed UFC lightweight championship of the world. And it's going down this Saturday night live at the RAC Arena in Perth, Western Australia. And man, I mean, this is truly a super fight. I mean, we're dealing literally with number one pound for pound versus number two pound for pound. And in addition to that, the lightweight title is on the line. So no matter what happens here, Alexander Volkanovsky is going to walk out a champion, win, lose, or draw. Islam Makachev, on the other hand, he must win this fight to walk out a champ. Reason being for those that, uh, you know, have been living under a, <laughs> under a bridge. Alexander Volkanovsky is the UFC featherweight champion. He's moving up to lightweight to challenge Islam for uh, for Islam's lightweight belt. So Islam's putting the lightweight belt on the line, and Alexander's putting the number one pound-for-pound pound status on the line. So it's pretty, pretty badass to have a fight this caliber this early in the year, just in general. Uh, I'm pretty damn excited. So Without further ado, let's get right down to business. So everybody do me a huge favor, smash the like button, and uh, let's do this. So main event of the evening for the lightweight belt, we got the champ, Islam Mahachev. He's 23-1, and one, taking on Alexander Volkanovsky, who is 25-1. I mean, 23-1 versus 25-1. These are like boxing records. And we talk about it often how, you know, when you're talking about boxing, you know, obviously it's an incredible feat to go 20 and 0 and 25 and 0, but like guys usually get to that point because they fight cans for the longest time. Once they get to like 25 and 0, that's when they start fighting real guys. But here to see a 23 and 1 versus a 25 and 1, that's like you don't see that in MMA very often. And interestingly enough, both of their losses came the exact same way. Volkanovsky, he was actually trying his luck. If you if you think that him moving up to 55 you know, it's something new. You're mistaken. This is a guy that's fought at 170, a guy that's fought at 185, currently the 145-pound champ. But his one loss, Volkanovsky, that is, was at 170. He actually got caught with a head kick. Islam's one loss against Adriano Martinez got got countered with a nasty counter right hook uh, from the southpaw stance. So both guys have been finished via knockout in their only losses. Now, I guess the big talking point is, you know, it's so easy to sit here and say, well, if it hits the mat, Islam's going to win. If it stays standing, Volk's going to win. And it's just, I don't think it's that black and white. I think that when you're talking about guys on this caliber, um, every single area needs to be accounted for. Because there's a scenario where Islam doesn't need to control Volkanovsky to win this fight. And what I mean by that, because I know that sounds like a foreign concept. I know that sounds like, what the fuck are you talking about? But the way Islam could win this fight without, you know, a bunch of rounds of, of dominating and suffocating top control is the threat of the takedown, presenting that threat, fainting the takedowns, getting Alex worried about that. Because, you know, when I talk about fainting, Alexander Volkanovsky is literally the best fainter not just in modern day UFC, but I'd say probably in the history of the sport. And what's so important about fainting is that, you know, it gets people kind of hesitant on your rhythm. It gets people not sure about what's going to come next. 
you start fainting body shots, you go upstairs, you start fainting a takedown, and then you start throwing punches. It confuses the hell out of his opponents. And that's why when Alexander Volkanovsky went down to Rio and he fought the great Jose Aldo, I've never seen Jose Aldo confused like that in a fight before. That's what Volkanovsky brings to the table elite world-class fainting you think he's gonna jab that's when he calf kicks you you think he's gonna calf kick you that's when he goes upstairs with a big left hook like you literally do not know what's coming against uh alexander volkanovsky while he's standing and then when you talk about the the ground thing because it's like it's like we're trying to act like volkanovsky's weak on the mat or something the guy's not weak on the mat at all you know in fact if you go back to his fight with jeremy kennedy in the ufc and guys no i'm not comparing jeremy to islam don't even don't even put words in my mouth i'm just giving an example of when volkanovsky's won fights on the mat too and when he did that against jeremy kennedy at the time jeremy kennedy was known for being the guy that would take people down and it would be the most boring fight ever but he was very effective very dominant would suffocate these guys and i remember when volkanovsky took jeremy kennedy down and you saw the look on jeremy kennedy's face like whoa, this guy's about to beat me at my own game. And then he pounded Jeremy Kennedy out. Like, that was one. I mean, I've known about Volk, like, for a long time. You know, I had him on half the battle twice, you know, way before he was a champion. Back when he was fighting uh, uh, Yasuka. What's the guy's name? Yasuka. Hold on. Let me look it up. Uh, Yasuki Kasuya. Okay, so that was his UFC debut. So I had him on the show around that time. And, like, he ground and pounded that dude in a way where, like, we never heard about uh, Yasuki Kasuya ever again. Let's just leave it at that. Um, so you look at, you know, Volkanovsky. And, like I said, the Kasuya fight, you saw his ground and pounds nasty. The Jeremy Kennedy fight, another example of disgusting ground and pound. And then when he got up to fighting a D1 wrestler like Chad Mendez, you know, not only did he get hurt on the feet, he also got taken down. He was able to pop back up. Now, granted, when you're dealing with Islam Makachev, it's not just as simple as, hey, let's just pop back up, you know, from the first two takedowns. Then he's going to gas out and uh, be discouraged. And, uh, you know, and then we go to work, which would be like the normal instance in a lot of, uh, of Volkanovsky fights. Um, excuse me. And, uh, you know, with, with a lot of like Islam's opponents, right? Like, yeah, you might you might be able to stuff the first couple takedowns. You might be able to get back up from bottom once or twice, but after that, you're drained. And the thing about this dude, Islam Makachev, is, I mean, he'll try to take you down a hundred times. Like the guy, like let's look at some of these numbers from Islam Makachev because he's put on some ridiculous takedown numbers. And actually, as the years have progressed, the numbers have been going down. Reason being is that his top control is so effective. He's been finishing fights. Like y'all remember for the longest time that Islam Makachev was criticized for being, oh, another boring decision guy, right? I mean, you know he's finished his last five fights, right? And it's not against slouches either. Charles Dubronx Oliveira, the, the guy with the most submissions in the history of the sport. Bobby Green, like, yeah, Bobby Green might not be a top five guy, but guys don't often come out there and just dominate Bobby Green. Like, even if you beat Bobby Green, it's usually like a controversial split decision or like a comeback KO or something. Like, Islam just dominated him. Dan Hooker didn't even get to land a punch. You know what I'm saying? Um, got to go a little bit deeper with Thiago Moises. But my point is, like, even deep into the fourth round, like, Islam's still going to be there. Islam's not going to be discouraged. Islam is going to be going back to the well. And if you show any kind of weakness against a guy like Islam Makachev, he will show you the door. He will get you out of there. 
Uh, you know, the thing with uh, Habib is you remember when Habib and Michael Johnson fought and Habib was on top of Michael Johnson. And Michael Johnson didn't want to quit. And Habib's like, brother, you must give up. I must fight for title. You know what I mean? And, uh, you know, eventually he was able to, did, did he Kimura him? He, he did some shit to him. You know, first he fucked him up with ground and pound. Um, the thing is, Alex isn't exactly the kind of guy that's going to give in. You know, you saw the Ortega fight when he's in this disgusting mounted guillotine. His face is turning purple. And like, none of us would have held it against him if he tapped out. None of us would have held it against him if he went to sleep. Like, live to fight another day. You're a warrior. Like, it is what it is, right? And this dude finds the littlest of space um, to, to alleviate the pressure from the guillotine, get back up to his feet, try, reverse the position, and he's on top ground and pounding. So Volkanovsky's a very resilient guy. So when we talk about, you know, the size, right, like, I guess that's a big talking point here. You know, there's there's weight classes for a reason. I'm sure that's something that a lot of people are saying. And that, you know, there's a reason this guy's at 45. There's a reason this guy's at 55. I get that. But the thing is, like, Volkanovsky is not just some... I know he's short, but he is not a small man. And it's easy to sit here and, uh, you know, talk about his, you know, rugby background. A lot of people do. But, like, the thing about it, man, is that's a legit thing. Like, he was this five foot six guy, 215 pounds, you know fending off these fucking six foot two 230 pound men so he's got experience you know moving around bigger bodies it's just that when you're dealing with the kind of grappling prowess um this is not just this is not the equivalent of a d1 wrestler this is not the equivalent of your typical russian dagestani fighter this is like the you know like in the video game, this is like the final boss. This is like max HP. This is like, you know, take a D1 All-American. Take a, you know, the best Russian guy and combine them. That's the kind of strength you're dealing with. When Islam's on top of you, I heard it's different. And I've heard it's different from guys in upper weight classes, like uh, Bilal Muhammad, for example. So Bilal, he went to uh, Dagestan, you know, for his fight with Sean Brady. And he trained with all those guys. And he said that Islam Makachev, Bilal is a 170-pounder. He said that Islam Makachev would hold him down and, and talk him through positions, right? Whereas, like, when Habib would get on top of him, Habib would be like, um, brother, you must give up. You know what I'm saying? But uh, when uh, Makachev was on top of him, he was, you know, trying to talk him through, like, hey, like, you know, move your hips this way or, you know, whatever. Whatever the case may be. I don't know the exact positions they were in. But Makachev, like, that's how, like... You know, I don't know if y'all have ever trained before, but like sometimes there's this guy in the gym who will like, you know, dominate you and he'll he'll be having a conversation with someone all the way across the room. Like, do y'all remember when that um that like pre-recorded uh PFL card happened like last year? Um, there was the controversial one. So what was funny about that was there were like three NFC guys. NFC is uh you know, the local promotion here where I'm from. So there were three NFC guys on that card. And the funny thing is they put one of my boys in there, Lewis Brewington, against like an undefeated Russian. The Russian was like minus a thousand. And um, I guess the point I'm trying to make is, uh, you know, I've seen Lewis Brewington in, in the sparring room. He'll be lighting someone the fuck up. And like Jared Gooden will be halfway across the room. And uh, 
my boy Lewis Bruinton will be like, hey, Jared, look. And he'll just start teeing off on someone. Like Bilal said that that's basically what it was like when he was rolling with like Habib and Islam, that they'd get on top of him and then have a conversation with someone halfway across the room. Like that's the kind of shit that will either make you or break you mentally to know that like you've put in all these years of work and these guys are still so far ahead of you. So basically what I'm trying to get at is that I do think Volkanovski can stuff some takedowns. I do think Volkanovski can get back up from bottom, create some scrambles. It's just my question is, can he keep doing it in the third, the fourth, the fifth round? Because what I know about Islam Makachev, this guy can go all day. And he's not going to be discouraged that you stuffed the first few. He's not going to be discouraged that you got back up because, I mean, it's not like, you know, there's some guys or some girls where, like, if they don't get their early submission, they kind of mentally break. Like, I put in all this effort to put this guy down. I put in all this effort to squeeze for the choke, and, and it didn't work. What do I have left? Whereas, like, is a guy like Islam, fight off his first 10 choke attempts, he'll get you with the 11th. Get back up from the first seven takedowns, he'll get you with the eighth. So it's just, I just hear it's just a different kind of pressure. And I don't ever want to be one to discredit or count out Volkanovsky because the kind of regard I hold him in, I've already talked about how he's got the most elite fainting game that I've ever seen in all my years watching this sport. And that's not something that you just brush off. That's not something that you just, oh, yeah, he's got good feints, no big deal. Like, Having an elite fainting game is the reason why he doesn't absorb that much damage. And he's in there with volume machines like Max Holloway. He's in there with the greatest of all time, like Jose Aldo. He's in there with one of the most dangerous submission artists in Brian T. City Ortega. And he's not coming out of these fights damaged. I mean, you know, eat a lick or two, whatever, but... You never hear about Volkanovsky. Oh, man, that war he just went through, uh, he's going to have to take six months to a year to recover, whereas the dudes that he fights, you saw Max Holloway's face, you saw Ortega's face. Like Dana was like, hey, I don't want Ortega doing any interviews after this fight. I want Ortega, and they got fight of the night. I want Ortega going straight to the hospital, right? So that's what happens when these guys fight um, uh, Alex. And I want to say something else. So when Islam fought Charles, and y'all can go back to my show um, that I did for that. And, and I said uh, that line, it was like minus 163, I think I bet Islam out against Charles. And I said that that was like the steal of the set. That was the discount of the century to get Islam at minus 160 something against Charles, who I love Charles. Who doesn't love Charles? Uh, Charles is incredible. It's just that how many times have we seen Charles um, get finished in fights? You know, I don't even want to bring up the quit thing from the past you know how many times have we seen uh charles you know when things aren't going his way uh because people like to talk about how well charles was on this big win streak so therefore charles was a brand new man and i felt like people were leaving out a key detail well why was he able to quote unquote overcome adversity on that streak he was on reason being was this uh charles would get dropped in a lot of these fights and the reason he was able to recover and come back and win these fights is because all these guys were terrified to follow him down to the mat and what i said in my islam versus charles breakdown is that when islam rocks him islam's gonna follow him right to the right to his guard islam's not scared of this man and that's exactly what he did uh charles threw a flying knee and it was beautiful timing by islam countered him with a big shot dropped him followed him right to his guard passed the guard an arm triangle the man you know so 
that was the difference between Islam and all the guys that Charles had fought up until that point. And there's a difference between Islam and all the guys that Alex has fought up until this point. So I just simply think that it's just that Islam's just different. But I'm not going to sit here and say that a one takedown in the fight is over shortly after. Like, I do think that Volk's going to stuff some takedowns. I do think that Volk is going to create some scrambles. I do think that Volk is even possibly calf kick him a couple times, light him up on the feet. Like, have some moments in this fight. For sure, I think he can have moments in this fight. Um, But then again, we can't sleep on islam standing either like the difference between islam and volk volk's got an insane volume of course the faints all that he's gonna have a lot more activity and a lot more variety than islam on the feet the thing is islam it might be a little bit low volume but it's very smart and it's very effective when islam decides to land is to let his hands go tends to land and not only that islam is very very tough to hit let me pull up the stat real quick so Islam, listen to this. Uh, I want y'all to guess this. How many strikes absorbed per minute y'all think Islam gets? And we're talking, how many fights has Islam had? Islam's been in the UFC since 2015. So we're approaching a decade. He's been in the UFC for close to 10 years. And this man gets, absorbs less than one strike per minute. Like that is that is just beautiful. Like if you're talking about a guy with like a two fight sample size, okay, you know who gives a shit? We don't we don't have enough evidence. But when you're talking about a dude that's been in the UFC since 2015 and gets hit less than one strike per minute, like damn, like holy shit, like that's like unheard of, man. So like just because Islam's known for you know the Dagestani wrestling, the, the Khabib style school of you know. Dagestani Airlines, you know, stamp those sky miles, um, you know, all that stuff. Like, this dude don't get hit standing. Um, he's been knocked out once, um, you know, and I think also if you look at his physique in that fight when he fought Adriano like almost 10 years ago, didn't even look like the same guy. Looks like a grown-ass man now. Looks like a kid back then. So, yeah, I mean, like, it, it, the thing about it is I didn't even read the odds. They currently got it minus 380 Islam. The comeback on Volk is plus 315. So it's just one of those things where it's like I'm picking Islam to win the fight. And usually when I'm kind of like, uh, you know, because, like, with a minus 30-something, I should be more confident. It's just like I was so confident on Islam at minus 160-something against Charles. But I hold Volk in way higher regard than Charles. I, I think Volk is infinitely tougher. I think he's trickier. Maybe not with a submission game, but that fainting game is tricky beyond belief. I think his body type, like people give him shit for being short. You try taking down a, a, a fire hydrant. You know what I'm saying? Uh, the guy's a beast. Um, it's just that what I've heard from guys that are welterweights, that are like top five welterweights, is that it, it's, just, it's just different when you tie up with uh these guys from khabib's camp let alone islam and habib themselves you know there might there might be some weak links on the team you know uh but when you're talking about islam and habib it's it, it, it's just different i think volk is just different too and i would never disrespect him um it's just that as this fight progresses not that volk's gonna necessarily slow down but that might be where you know islam can actually get accrue a couple minutes of top control get off on a little bit of ground and pound and 
it's hard to say if he's gonna like discourage Volk because Volk's not Volk's not mentally weak. Volk, it's just can he physically wear him down? Can he get the damage going? Can he open up some cuts? Um, and just stay ahead on points. Bottom line, because and another thing, if he attacks a submission, Volk Volk most likely ain't gonna attack. Ain't gonna tap. Volk's gonna let you put him to sleep. So there's a chance Volk goes to sleep here. I'm not sure the exact outcome, like the method, but I am gonna pick Islam Makachev. But the thing is, like, you know, if someone's interested in betting the number one pound for pound fighter at plus three something odds, like I, I get it. And for me, like I told you, minus one sixty something against Dubronx was like the discount of the century. Now I gotta pay you know, like twice that against a much better fighter. That's kind of like why I don't, why I'm just passing. I'd, I'd really just enjoy this pound for pound great fight without a bet on the line. But um, my pick is Islam to uh, to defend. But I mean, am I going to be surprised if someone with, um, you know, Volk's caliber pulls off a great moment? No, no I'm not, but my pick is Islam. Um, Renee asked, "Is my internet stuck or is dance? What, what do y'all think? Y'all can hear me, uh, okay? Because everything, all indications are that things are going well over here. But uh, I appreciate y'all being here. Smash the like button for me. So before we talk about the co-main event for the interim featherweight belt between Yair and Emmett, I want to give a huge shout out to today's sponsor of Half the Battle, uh, Daily Fan MMA. So." For this epic UFC 284 fight week, you know I had to get back with Brett Apley and DailyFanMMA.com to give you another awesome promotion. So shout out to all of you who signed up for uh, free. So sign up for, so excuse me, excuse, excuse me, Brett. <laughs> so shout out to all of you who signed up for free with daily fan MMA during the last pay-per-view, you know, when Jamal Hill fought Glover Teixeira, uh, we promoted on the show, Brett let everybody, all the half the battle listeners try out his thing is um, amazing. So um, basically, I mean like the best breakdowns, the best, everything. He lets you try out his package completely free for half the battle listeners for the last two events for the uh, Jamal Hill card and for the Asia quote-unquote Asia card right after that. So y'all got to try it out for free. And the response was very positive. Y'all got a lot out of it. So now Brett's going back to the well, and he wants to hook y'all up with a big discount. So shout-out to all of you who signed up for free with Daily Fan MMA during the last pay-per-view. I truly hope you enjoyed the breakdowns and DraftKings content. So for UFC 284, Brett Apley wants to offer Half the Battle fans another $20 off any MMA premium monthly subscription. So that's going to include full matchup breakdowns and DraftKings analysis for every fi every fight on the slate, premium podcast projections, rankings, and more. Plus, you can get access to the lineup optimizer, which can spit out up to 300 DraftKings lineups at the click of a button. And that's included. So all you have to do is get uh, to get access to this promotion is go to dailyfanmma.com slash BFP and use the promo code BFP284. 
That's BFP284 at dailyfanmma.com slash BFP. If you happen to forget the code, don't worry. All the information is available on that page. And if you have any questions, feel free to reach out to me or Brett, and we'll help you out. So once again, that's dailyfanmma.com slash BFP, and you can use the promo code BFP284 for $20 off. Daily Fan MMA just crossed $2 million in subscriber winnings, and all they want to do is help you guys compete against the best and hopefully take home that six-figure score for yourself. We got some amazing fight cards coming up, so I highly encourage you to take advantage of this promotion now. So go to dailyfanmma.com slash BFP. Use the code uh, 284. Um, excuse me. Use the code uh, BFP284 and uh, get on it, man. Get on it. I highly, highly recommend it. So thanks, Brett Apley, uh, for sponsoring today's episode of the, uh, of the show. Uh, thank you, Daily Fan MMA, and I highly recommend you all take advantage of that offer. All right. Co-main event of the evening. Um, okay, so real quick, Marcus said, the press conference with Dana forgetting Islam's name. Yeah, but the thing was, not defending it, but it was like 4 a.m., right? It was like 4 a.m., so I don't even remember my own fucking name at 4 a.m., so I'll, I'll give him a pass on that. Uh, anyways, co-main event of the evening for the uh, interim featherweight belt. We got Yair El Pantera Rodriguez. He's 14-3. and three. Taking on Josh Emmett, who is 18 and 2. Currently, they got it. Yair minus 155. The comeback on Emmett is plus 135. So, this is an amazing fight uh, for a variety of reasons. I mean, I've been wanting to see both these guys get their opportunity at gold for, for a long, long time. And, uh, Yair Rodriguez, I mean, he's a guy that can do things that other guys can't do, especially when you're talking about the kicks, the creativity. I mean, he'll even try some stuff on the mat, too, and, like, he's got these unorthodox trips. He's got spins. He's just a very unique guy. Like, I feel like if he wasn't a pro MMA fighter, he'd be, like, a BMX biker. He's, like, one of these, like, adrenaline junkies. Like, I feel like he'd be a skydiver. I feel like he'd be, like, one of these guys on – working for Red Bull, being like shot out of a cannon, doing crazy ass tricks. Like that's the kind of guy this man is. I mean, like even in that fight with zombie, he was down on the scorecards, gets like an elbow that like no one's ever seen before. Um, people can talk all the shit they want about the Brian Ortega fight, um, but Yair whooped Brian up until that injury. So, I mean, like, it's not like Brian was winning the fight and then he got injured. Then it's like, oh man, how unfortunate. Look, it's still unfortunate, but it's like Yair was fucking clinicking him for the first couple for like the first four minutes and uh they went to the ground and uh, guess who lost when they went to the ground right but now all bullshit aside even though that's not bullshit um the way that he matches up with emmett listen emmett is one of these guys that he is short stocky explosive powerful big knockout power and that's not just hyperbole i mean he's got the most knockdowns in the history of the featherweight division. I mean, let's let's literally go back and, and, and take a gander at what I'm talking about here. So when you talk about the most knockdowns in featherweight history, I mean, look at this. Uh, Josh Emmett knocked down Ige. Josh Emmett knocked down Shane Burgos twice. Knocked down Mirsad Bektich with a jab. Knocked out Michael Johnson. 
dropped Jeremy Stevens despite losing that fight. Knocked out uh, Ricardo Lamas. Dropped Felipe Aranches four times. So this man's got the most knockdowns in the history of the featherweight division. So I think he's very dangerous. And uh, at any point, he could catch Yair and put him down. Um, and also, there's like this narrative about how, you know, Yair's got the better volume here. And like statistically speaking, he's got better volume by like point, you know, 2.3 something, whatever. Um, but it's more so of a thing where like you kind of often think about these like, you know, short explosive guys as having like low volume, but when they explode, it's scary and they can knock you out, but it's usually low volume. Besides that, the thing with Emmett is that's not the case. I mean, he landed over 107 significant strikes against uh, Calvin Cater, landed 127 significant strikes against Shane Burgo. So this is a guy that's gone out there and put up numbers multiple times. So it's not just a, a one hitter quitter ordeal. He can win decisions too. Um, and, and we could talk about, oh, the rumor came out that he's got a, a hip injury and, you know, then he's almost 38 years old. Fair enough. Okay, whatever. I still think he's going to show up. Uh, it's just about a lot of things, <laughs> obviously. Uh, and some of those lot of things include, you know, in space. Yair is a ridiculously good kicker. And he's gotten a lot better at kind of toning things down. One thing that kind of plagued him in the past is, you know, as a fan, you'd enjoy the fact that this guy would be doing these 360 kicks. These guys would you'd be doing all this ridiculous stuff, jumping off the cage, whatever the case may be. But he'd go balls to the wall, kind of fatigue as fights carried on. I feel like he's gotten a lot better at pacing himself. A uh, point in cases, he knocked out Korean Zombie deep into the fifth round in Denver, Colorado elevation after like a war. He had the wherewithal to pull that move off with 10 seconds left in that elevation, Denver. After a war. Next example against Max Holloway. Look, he lost the Max Holloway fight fair and square, but you got to understand he was like a plus 600 underdog and he won two of the rounds on two judges scorecards, including the fifth round. So I do think that he has gotten better about pacing himself. And I think he's paid his dues to the point where now he's ready for a title fight. So it's like a fight like this is one of those where like you see them run it 10 times. You're going to see a different outcome every single time. So I see the argument for the dogger pass situation, but Emmett winning is going to be reliant on it. Does, it's not necessarily reliant on knockdowns or reliant on knockouts or reliant on this and that. It's more of reliant on getting that respect from my ear and letting him know the threat at hand, letting him know like, Hey, this is a different kind of physicality. This is a different kind of power coming at you. Cause a lot of people, you know, they just like to be like, Oh, the cater versus Emmett fight was this big robbery, blah, blah, blah. And they don't even, you know, dive into exactly what happened in that fight, which I do. And I'll tell you exactly what happened in that fight. And that fight was not a robbery at all. Like, yeah, you can look at Emmett's face afterwards because maybe in one of the rounds or two of the rounds, you know, Cater was doing his thing. But if you really look deep into what happened in that fight, I mean, Emmett had Cater gunshot for like the first three rounds, period, point blank. It wasn't up until the fourth and fifth round that Cater finally, I guess, found his range and was what it was. And that's when Cater, Cater clearly won the fourth and fifth. But I thought Cater lost the first three rounds. And it's easy for people, oh, you lost a parlay 
on on cater so now you want to call it a robbery but no one told you to lay minus two something on a split decision type fight and if you can't you know understand what happened objectively that it's no one's fault but your own and the fact of the matter is that calvin cater was gun shy those first three rounds because of the threat coming back at him with josh emmett and he didn't find his range until the fourth and fifth round that's three to two that's 48 47 that fight was not a robbery guys a robbery is there was like one recently where i was absolutely disgusted i can't even remember off the top of my head we see so many fucking fights but people love to just throw out the word robbery. Oh, the fight, the, the sports fixed and this and that. And, um, dude, who did I say was robbery of the year on my year end show where it was like actually legitimately disgusting and I felt gross watching it? Like, Cater Emmett was not one of those fights, guys. Cater Emmett was a very close fight. Like, Cater Emmett, like, like I said, those first three rounds, uh, Cater who's not known for being hesitant to engage with anyone was hesitant to engage with Emmett. Go back and watch it. It was, like I said, it wasn't until the fourth and fifth round that Cater start, started pulling away. And by that point it was too late. So I give Emmett a lot of credit in that fight. So the reason I got to bring that up is because here against Yair, if Emmett can somehow get Yair gunshot, like, I mean, That'd be kind of interesting to see. That'd be kind of interesting to see. Emmett does his little blitzes with his just big explosive bombs and gets away from that kicking range. Because that kicking range, like, we know who the better kicker here is. Listen, either guy can drop, either guy with hands. I do think Emmett's the harder hitter, evidence with him having the most knockdowns in the history of the division. But either guy can knock either guy out with hands. But the issue is that from distance, Yair has... It is massively uh, ahead of Emmett as far as the kicking game, as far as the variety, as far as just the arsenal and just the weapons at his disposal. So I do think the calf kicks are going to be big. And if Yair can get off on a lot of early calf kicks, that's going to take away from the explosiveness of Josh Emmett, which is what he needs to close that distance with those big bombs and, and those blitzes that, you know, got a guy like Calvin Cater gun shy that got Emmett the most knockdowns in the history of this division. So Yair needs to establish that calf kick off the rip. And I think another one that would be good, you know, a front kick to the face, just to kind of, and a couple things up the middle, uppercuts, knees, just to kind of discourage Emmett in case he has plans of mixing in some takedowns. Cause I hear people being like, well, We've never seen Emmett wrestle for five rounds, so why is he going to do that now? And it's like, guys, like it doesn't have to be so black and white. It's not about wrestling for five rounds. It's about, well, what if one round is close and you seal off the round with a takedown at the very end? That's what it's about. Like If you think Emmett's going to come out here and hold down Yair for five rounds, I mean, that, right now, before the fact, that sounds delusional to me. I don't think. I don't think that Emmett's going to hold him down for five rounds. But do I think that Emmett can get a takedown or two or three along the way? Yes, I do. But I also think that uh, Yair can scramble back up. I think he's gotten a lot better at scrambling back up. So it comes down to the range at which this fight is played out and what kind of, dam what kind of damage is accumulated at the respective ranges. Up close. Emmett needs to make Yair pay and needs to make him feel the power of the shots to the point where, 
Yair's going to want to run around. Yair's going to want to disengage. Yair's like, man, I don't want to get hit by this guy. And for Yair, he needs to chop down that leg of Emmett to the point where Emmett doesn't have, you know, that same mobility and Emmett can't uh, close the distance as explosively as he normally does with his big shot combinations. So both guys got tools to win here and they run it back 10, 10 times. Either guy can win this fight. I'm going to pick Yair Rodriguez to win this Saturday night in Perth, Australia. Um, it's just sometimes with these title fights, I talk about it often, like sometimes certain guys won't be denied on the night. And with Emmett, this is his last chance, about to be 38 years old. Like, so maybe he just has that night where he won't be denied. And if that's the case, you got to give him all the credit in the world for that. But who have I historically been more impressed with? Who, like, when they both made their debuts, did I think, like, hey, this guy could potentially fight for a title? It was Yair the entire time. So I'm not going to back down from that stance now. I just think that Emmett deserves a lot of respect a lot of credit and he does have a path to victory in this fight however my pick will be yair rodriguez to become the interim champion uh now this one in the welterweight division this is the one i'm most worried about talking about <laughs> i'll tell you why in a sec so uh, before i do that everyone smash the like button hit the subscribe button truly truly appreciate it so Featured bout in the welterweight division. We got Randy Rude Boy Brownie, 16 and 4, taking on Jack Della Madalena, who was 13 and 2. Currently, they got it. Jack Della minus 330. The comeback on Randy Brown is plus 270. So automatically, when you see a plus 270, plus 250, plus 260 on Randy Brown against any like you know, fringe top 15 guy or even a non-top 15 guy, I understand why you'd be tempted to take the shot. And I've been, you know, all over Randy Brown in a lot of these spots where he's kind of fighting a bit of an unproven prospect. Now, I think that this specific unproven prospect is infinitely more talented than the two I'm about to name where I successfully cashed on uh, Randy Brown. Um you know, taking advantage of guys, you know, taking a step up in competition, whether it was me putting seven units on Randy Brown to beat Mickey Gall, whether it was me betting Randy Brown to beat Chaos Williams. Now, the thing about, about you know, what, what do Mickey and Chaos have in common with Jack at that time? Well, you know, Jack's only three fights into his UFC career. You know, Jack's still kind of um, getting his feet wet inside the octagon. Jack's never been in there with anyone yet. The difference is Jack is extremely talented. Jack has some of the best hands in the welterweight division, 100%. Um, he's got a nasty composure about him. He's one of these guys that, you know, he's not – what, what's that company about taking a, a, a licking and keep on ticking? Like Jack, Jack will do that, man. Establishes his jab, rips to the body. He's not afraid to get hit. And another thing I really like about Jack Della Maddalena is that I've seen on two separate occasions that, you know, he's a guy who's known for his boxing for MMA, but I've seen that, you know, people have had some legit submission attempts against him. Ange Lusa with that arm triangle. Um, Ramazan Emiv with, was it an Anaconda or a Darce? I don't remember off the top of my head. If I see it, I'll know, but I just don't remember. Like, did he 
go through the arm and connect at the head or did he go through the head and connect at the arm that's that's the difference between a darcy and anaconda but either way Ameev had a, a nasty little something something there and the way that madalena stayed composed and, and, and pulled that arm down had that forehead to the mat like did the proper defense i mean i got nothing bad to say about madalena he's extremely impressive obviously his hands like i mentioned the volume the power the variety the composure the shot selection you know to, to quote mcgregor like He's got all the makings of a future top 10 guy, 100%. It, it, it's just that, is it growing pain time? Because Randy Brown ain't no Pete Rodriguez. Randy Brown ain't no Danny Hot Chocolate. Randy Brown ain't no Angelusa. Randy Brown ain't no, you know, Ramazan Ameev on his way out. Like, Randy Brown is a guy who's been paying his dues forever. Randy Brown is a guy who fought Bilal Muhammad like half a decade ago been fighting the best guys in the world and is, and is clawing his way to get to the top 15 and randy's got a lot of physical attributes as you guys know six foot three he's got the long ass reach he's starting to learn how to use his length has a nasty submission game too i mean you get caught up in one of those long man chokes and there's a chance that you're either going to sleep or you're tapping out so also knees and stuff like that so and also, when Randy loses fights, for the most part, he still gives these guys tough fights. Like, um, you know, like the Bilal Muhammad fight was a tough three-round fight. The Nico Price fight. I mean, he was he, he was giving Nico the business, and Nico knocked the dude out off his back, which he's actually done more than once, which is crazy. I don't see Madalena doing that. I think if Madalena is going to win, it's going to be on the feet. He's going to do what he always does. He's going to establish his jab he's gonna mix it up to the body a calf kick here and there go upstairs like get you guessing um and and then with with brown so the things i don't like as a betting man i don't like i don't like as a betting man that sometimes he gets a little arrogant in there and uh as a fan i like it i love you know the showmanship i love the swag i love the fact that he's feeling himself i like that he's feeling comfortable in there it's just when you bet on him you're gonna be like randy stop fucking around you know what i mean and i found myself saying that a lot when i've been on randy so i know this is a very dangerous fight this is one that's really tough for me to pick though because it's like all these great prospects are not exempt from taking a roadblock along the way like benil dariush right now he's number three in the world about to fight charles Oliveira. benil dariush got knocked out by ramsey nijam in his second ufc fight like, do you know what would happen if Benil and Ramsey Nijam ran it 10 times? Benil wins nine. Do you know what would happen if Benil and Alex uh, Fraudnandez ran it back uh, 10 times? Benil wins nine of those. So what, what I'm trying to say is that even though the Ramsey fight was more of a roadblock than the Alex fight, the Alex fight was just a straight fluke. Like, Della hasn't been tested. And I say that. And then you see his nose plastered on the back of his head. So clearly maybe he has been tested in ways that I don't know about. But it's just a thing of where it's like you see a price like this on Randy and I'm tempted. I, I'm fully aware he might get knocked the fuck out. I'm fully aware that, um, you know, D Della, I, look, I think win, lose, or draw, Della is a future top 10 guy. No questions asked. 
It's just that these fights have been too easy. And that's not his fault. It's You cannot hold it against Jack Della Maddalena that he's been coming out here, handling these guys accordingly and running through them. You cannot deny that. But you can also not deny that Randy Brown is a massive step up, is not even in the same stratosphere as Pete Rodriguez. Pete Rodriguez was fighting fucking Mike Jackson his last fight. Do you know what would happen if Jack Della or Randy Brown got locked in there with Mike Jackson, <laughs> it would be the first, you know what, in, in UFC history, right? So, like, listen, this is the bottom line. The bottom line is I don't know what's going to happen. I do know What I do know is there's going to be some exciting striking exchanges. What I do know is that Randy likes to fuck around a lot. But what I also know is that Randy's been in there with heavy hitters and he survived against Chaos Williams. Now, Jack's much more technically sound than, than Chaos Williams. No, no questions asked. Um, but Chaos does have that one hitter quitter. I don't know. I really do not know. Like when Randy starts getting off on those long strikes, it looks beautiful. Offensively speaking, I love it. And the fact that he's been paying his dues for so many years, he's got good jujitsu. It's like I don't know who's going to win, but at those odds, I might be willing to roll a dice to find out, right? To find out. I'm already sold on Della being a future top 10 guy. What I'm not sold on is that he doesn't have to take a roadblock along the way, which is what this would be against someone who is battle-tested and has paid their dues, uh, unlike anyone that Della's faced up until this point. So I really don't know who's going to win, but if I had to bet somebody, I'd, I'd take a one-unit shot on Randy just to find out at odds like this, um, period. So... I'm okay being wrong here because I respect and appreciate the talent of Della 100%. But you got to respect someone that's paid their dues like Randy. Um, so let's see how the prospect does with this test. I'm going uh, I'm, I'm to go with Randy for the big upset. I know. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to go with Randy. Um, uh, also on the main card, wow, we start off with these three incredible fights. And now we got a heavyweight matchup between Justin Taffa, who's five and three, taking on Parker Porter, who's 13 and seven. And currently they got a Justin Taffa minus 125. The comeback on Parker Porter is plus 105. The thing about this fight is like, so actually Parker Porter is better technically speaking than, uh, than Justin Taffa. And he's more experienced. I mean, we're talking about a guy in Parker. You were in there with John Jones back in the day. Got got smashed, but hey, still fought John Jones on his regional. That's how experienced this guy is. And with Taffa, kind of like you know, a poor man's Mark Hunt, poor man's Tuivasa has that style. Um, you know, big left hooks, big leg kicks. Um, like doesn't look athletic, but will like in terms of physique, but will look athletic in terms of how he explodes into these knockouts. Um Beautiful elbows off the break. Like that left hook I mentioned. You start to dip a little low. The guy's got a nasty uppercut waiting for you. As far as his ground game, you know, obviously it's not the best, but he has gotten better about, you know, exploding out of bad positions. How long can he do that? Well, you know, once he gasses out, I don't know. But while he's fresh, I think he can explode out of some bad spots. Parker, uh, it's an interesting cat. You know, not the most athletic at all either. Um, but he has had some good volume in certain fights. And has shown some things. It's just that, you know, 
I, I can totally see this being a spot where like Tafa's green, but like I can see incremental improvements fight by fight. And I can see Porter maybe getting off on some volume and then eventually getting caught. So, you know, it's a heavyweight fight. Or they could just hug each other against the fence for three straight rounds. Um, either guy could get knocked out. But my pick is going to be that Porter lights him up and then gets caught. I'm going to go with Taffa via knockout. Now, kicking off the main card, we got a matchup between Jimmy the Brute Crew. He's 12, he's 12 and 3, taking on Alonzo Menafield, who was 13 and 3. Currently, they got it. Jimmy the Brute Crew minus 185. The comeback on Alonzo Menafield is plus 160. So, real quick, anyone know why uh, Alonzo Menafield left Fortis MMA? Like, can someone explain that to me? Like, doesn't like Coach Safe Sayud seem like the best, like, like one of the best coaches and just like a motivational guy? Like, if you don't show up to practice, he will hold you accountable. And then when I heard, like, I forgot if it was Ryan Spann, Kennedy, and Zechuku or Jeff Neal, like, they asked him, like, well, they're like, oh, you got all these great guys at the gym. You got you, you got Jeff, you got Kennedy, you got Ryan Spann, you got uh, Alonzo Menafield. And he was like, oh, no, no, Alonzo don't train with us no more. So I was like, oh, so uh, I wonder uh, what happened. Uh, any, anyone know what happened between uh, Alonzo and Fortis? Because he's not at Fortis anymore. So interesting stuff. And then with Jimmy the Brute Crew, I've always been a fan of Jimmy the Brute Crew, man. How can you not love Jimmy the Brute Crew? I mean, the guy comes to fight every single time. Prior to his UFC career, he already knows what it means to go five rounds in a fight. Black belt in jiu-jitsu. I heard someone say he was a brown belt. No, no, no. He's been a black belt for a while. Only man to submit Paul Craig inside the octagon. He's got some nasty sweeps off his back. Just my issue with Jimmy the Brute Crude is he's just kind of a meathead sometimes. Um, striking defense ain't exactly the best. Doesn't really move his head. But offensively speaking, he's got big power on both hands. He can land head kicks. Um, got a nasty blast double, and then obviously his black belt in jiu-jitsu, he gets on top of you, he can finish fights. So I see this being fun. It's just, uh, you know, how, how is Jimmy doing mentally after the Jamal fight? Because you know, it's one thing, the Smith fight, okay. You know, kind of fought like an idiot, which he's done before, but like, you know, he was still having success in that, uh, in, in that Anthony fight whenever he decided to take him down, just couldn't get back up after the first round, right? But, uh, the Jamal fight was a little bit different, man. When you get put out like you're absolutely nothing and nobody, the way that Jamal handled him, the, the undisputed light heavyweight champion Jamal, that guy, you know, the guy that uh, y'all were picking a 43-year-old to lose against. Like, come on, y'all. But, yeah, but if you listen to half the battle, you were on Jamal. But back to this, like, how's Jimmy recovered mentally from, you know, like, didn't he tear his ACL and then he got knocked the fuck out by Jamal? So, like, if he can, like, get up on the couch. Get up on the couch. Talking to my girl, Blondie. Um, if he's recovered mentally and he's still Jimmy the Brute Crude, then I think he's got a very good chance to come out here. Because Alonzo Menafield, you know, he's bricked up. He's strong. He can hit hard. His ground game has been getting better. It's just that he tends to fatigue as fights progress. And one thing about Jimmy the Brute Crude, not that, not that he's got the best gas tank, but he will push through. He will push through. He, he is tough as nails. And even like in that Paul Craig fight when they were both so fucking gassed, man. Um, to, to Kimura, a guy like uh, Paul Craig, that speaks volumes. Oh, someone typed in the chat. Alonzo's training with Pat Berry now. Alonzo. So you went from one of the best coaches in the game right now 
Coach Safe Saud, who I mean, the general. Like you, you don't talk, you don't talk back to the coach Safe Saud, the guy that'll hold you accountable. And now you're going with the guy who was like 40 years old dating a 15 year old. Like, hey, bro, like, I don't know your reasoning. And maybe I exaggerated a little bit about the Pat Barry thing, but uh, my uh, instincts tell me that Coach Safe Saud is probably a more positive and healthy environment, non toxic environment. But that's just an educated guess because I don't know these guys personally and I can get off on a, on a tangent. But bottom line, if Jimmy the Brute Crew is still Jimmy the Brute Crew, I think he's going to come out here and win this fight. I think that the stand-up exchanges can be close. I think that Jimmy can mix in some takedowns. I think Jimmy might be able to come out here, even get a submission along the way. It's just my easy... Um, hold on. Someone said, Zoe may have looked best ever after his first fight with him. Yeah, because he was fighting Misha Sarkunov coming off like 10 losses in a row, getting ready to retire. Like, dude... Put uh, Jimmy Crew, give Jimmy Crew a rematch with Sirkunov, and you'll see what happens. That was just a rookie stunt when uh, when Jimmy fought Sirkunov. If Jimmy fought Sirkunov today, he'd handle him just as bad as Alonzo did. You know this, man. Come on. It's all about timing. Just like I told you about Ramsey beating Benny. You, you think Ramsey would ever beat Benny again? You think Alex Hernandez would ever beat Benny again? You think Sirkunov would ever beat Jimmy Crude again? No, he wouldn't. So Alonzo starching. Uh, Starching Misha Serkunov, great knockout, looked good. But if you think that that has like any kind of weight on how I view Alonzo going forward, it doesn't. Knocking out a corpse doesn't mean shit to me, period. So I'm going to pick Jimmy the Brute Crew. It's just, are you still Jimmy the Brute Crew? Are you still that young, hungry kid that wants to get to the belt, that will do whatever it takes? Or did Jamal... Now, did he uh, take that soul out of his body? That's what I want to know. So that's why I'm not going to bet on this fight. I don't think. See, normally I love betting on Jimmy Crew in a lot of fights, not against Jamal. I took Jamal plus 160 there, but other times I like betting Jimmy. But I think I might just sit back and wait on this one. Now, headlining the prelims, we've got a matchup between Tyson Pedro. He's 9-3. and three. <laughs> He said Crude is a corpse. Dude, Crude is like fucking, how old is Crude? Crude is 26, bro. Like, for Crude to be a corpse at 26, that'd be very, very sad. I don't think he's a, I don't think he's a corpse. But next up, I'm going to address all these comments after I'm done with the breakdown. And so y'all keep typing them. And then once I'm done with all this, I'll address everything. Um, but let's just get, let's get done with the breakdowns because I think I spent a lot of time on these first few. So. All right, next up in the light heavyweight division, we've got Tyson Pedro. He's 9-3, and three, taking on Modestus Bukowskis, who is 13-5. Currently, they got it. Tyson Pedro, minus 240. The comeback on Modestus Bukowskis is plus 200. What's interesting is that didn't Tyson open, like, minus 1,000 or, like, minus, or minus 750 or something like that? Uh, so, you know, obviously a lot of money came in on Bukowskis, and now it's kind of settled, minus 240-ish. Um, yeah, so both guys, guys have had a lot of questions about, you know, Tyson Pedro, I think he's very physically fit. I mean, how fucking tall is this guy Tyson Pedro? Is he like six, seven or some shit? 
Oh, he's only 6'3"? Why did I think that Tyson Pedro was like 6'5", 6'6", 6'7"? Must have been wrong. So Tyson Pedro, 6'3", 79-inch reach. Yo, someone look that up. Tyson Pedro is taller than 6'3", right? Isn't, isn't, I, I swear to God, he was at least 6'5". Hold on. They're saying 6'3". I, uh, even though that that's what they're saying, I think I might call bullshit on that. I think the guy might be more like 6'5". And then here with Bukowskis, another tall-ass man. I mean, look, here's the deal. Tyson Pedro is really good at going out. Um, Tyson Pedro is really good at going out there and getting people out in that first round. He is a good first-round finisher. Finish some legit guys. I mean, finish Paul Craig in the first round. Finish Khalil Roundtree in the first round. Um, it's just when he goes past the first round, I don't know if it was a maturity thing at the time or if he simply is one of those first-round or bust guys. Because I'm willing, excuse me, I'm willing to give him a, a break in terms of, like, he's paid his dues to maybe now he can dial it in, you know, should fights go past the first round. And with Modesto's Bukowskis, he's kind of like the opposite. He's kind of like a slow starter has that tall man's defense, chin straight up in the air. So Tyson can definitely get him out of there early. Um, and also, I don't really like the volume uh, from, from Bukowskis that much. Eats way too many shots. So it's just one of those things where first round, I think Tyson Pedro has a chance to finish him or get a big first round. It's just after that, is Tyson going to fall apart? Has Tyson matured a little bit? Because Bukowskis he does start to turn things up as the fights progress. So, you know, second half of the fight might get interesting should it get there. But I'm going to go with Tyson Pedro to uh, possibly get it done early, you know. Uh, Bukowskis does get dropped in a lot of fights. Um, he's a very slow starter. Tyson's a fast starter. So early going favors Pedro, and I think that he does have the goods to, to, to get this done relatively early. But should it uh, extend, things will get interesting. Next up in the featherweight division, we got a matchup between Josh Kulabau. He's 10 and 1, 10 1 and 1, because remember that draw with Jordan. Take it on Melsic Bagdasarian, who's 7 to 1. Currently, they got it. Melsic minus 110, Kulabau minus 110. So it's a very good fight. Um, listen, Kulabau's impressed me, man. The thing I like about this dude, Kulabau, is that he comes into the USC and there's no, you know, gimme fights. There's no, you know, here, get your feet wet a little bit. It's like, Hey, here's Jalen Turner up a weight class. Okay, now you're dropping back to your regular weight class. Here's a uh, Charles Air Jordan. I'll tell you what, Kulabau's impressed, man. He dropped Jordan, made it to a draw in that fight, and he was counted out. Um, that last fight against Choi went out there, dropped him. You know, like what, like dudes like a tough ass Hawaiian warrior. Actually, he's not Hawaiian; he's Australian. But like, I feel like uh. He reminds me of like a, a Yancey Medeiros, like kind of like a new school Yancey Medeiros. That's kind of like the vibe I get from uh, from Josh Coolabout at Featherweight. Um, just like dude knows how to fight, you know, dude knows how like might not be the most athletic guy, uh, but like is a scrapper is, is going to be there and is going to is going to give his best. So you got to respect the guy like that for sure. And he's and he's made a lot of improvements too uh, with Melsic. So Melsic's actually like a legit striker, like a legit, like, you know, has a background kickboxing, super explosive, big, big kicks, getting better with his takedown defense, getting better with his getup game, you know, uh, and most importantly is getting better with his pacing. 
because that was the big issue on contender series that you know like he whooped the dude's ass to a point where you know he kind of gassed out a bit i feel like he's pacing himself a little better and i don't think y'all should watch his fight with bruno souza as like any indication of anything about to happen here because bruno souza and josh kulabar are polar opposites to a point where like Bruno Souza is like one of those karate guys that just runs away the entire time. Like literally, like literally pull up Mel versus Bruno. Like Bruno was running away. And that's what those karate guys want you to do. They want you to get so desperate, so fed up that you say, fuck it, you charge it. And then they counter you with something big. Like if y'all remember the first fight, the one in the UFC between Ryan Bader and Leota Machida, what happened? Leota ran away the entire time. Eventually, Bader was like, all right, fuck it. Uh, I'm going to make something happen. As soon as that happened, uh, Machida countered him and knocked him into the next uh, dimension. So, you know, I think that that's kind of what Bruno Souza was trying to get Melsic to do. But Melsic's a very educated striker himself. And, you know, he got his points in where he could. The difference here is that Josh Koulibau is not going to, you know, run away from Melsic like a you-know-what. Josh Koulibau is going to get right in Melsic's face and try to fight him. The issue with that is that Melsic is much more explosive, much more dynamic, um, has that striking background, and is probably going to light up Josh Koulibau. The only issue is that in the past we have seen a bit of, you know, because Melsic is so explosive, dynamic, fast, he does tend to slow down in fights. Now, was that just kind of like some rookie stuff early in his career, or is that a thing going forward that you need to pay attention to? This fight will let us know because Koulibau will still be there late in the fight, right? Um, but the early going, man, I think Melsic's going to light this man up. And uh, at a pick, um, I I I'm going to go with Melsic. And if it hits plus 100 again, I might even consider a bet here. So all respect to Josh Koulibau. Very, very impressive with what he's done with his opportunity. You know, when he came to the UFC, I thought it was going to be two fights and out. And, I mean, my boy's out here uh, on a win streak, man. Um, so, all respect. Cool about You're a tough son of a gun. You know what I mean? So, uh, I'm going to go with Melsic to win this fight. Now, next up in the flyweight division, we got a matchup between Clayjason Rodriguez. Excuse me. Clayjason Rodriguez. He's 7-2. and two, Taking on Shannon Ross. Shannon Ross. Was 13 and 6. Currently, they got it. Clayjason Rodriguez, Rodriguez, minus 325. Come back on Shannon Ross is plus 265. So here's the deal with Clayjason uh, Rodriguez. Clayjason is basically like the new school flyweight version of Edson Barbosa. So what I mean by that is Clayjason has unbelievably explosive and athletic movements kicks just fast twitch like he's a serious athlete he's massive for the weight class and uh clay Clay is gonna fuck a lot of people up in the ufc the issue with clay is just like edson barboza you know they do got that fast twitch they do got that nasty switch kick they can both spin and certain guys they are going to fuck up in a way where it's like yo Who's this guy? He looks like a future world champion. The issue with Clay Jason Rodriguez, just like Edson Barbosa, is that if you can put the pace on him, if you can stand up to the bully, if you don't want to play that slow-paced fight where, you know, 
you throw a combo and then he returns with an explosive combo. Then you're discouraged to engage with him. And then you have this slow paced fight where you do nothing. And when he decides to go, it's the most explosive combination you've ever seen. And he looks like a future world champion. If it's that kind of fight, I mean, Clay Jason is going to fuck this man up. The way that Shannon Ross can win this fight, possibly win this fight, is Shannon Ross needs to get right in the face of Clay Jason Rodriguez. He needs to, um, you know, cut off that kicking distance, get it into punching distance. And from there, I'm not saying that Clay Jason can't have success there because you saw Shannon Ross get dropped like a hundred times his last fight against uh, Vinicius Salvador. And even prior to that on his regional scene, you saw some very ugly shit. But the thing I like about uh, Shannon Ross and the reason he got signed is because of how tough this guy is. I mean, word on the street is that. So that first knockdown he suffered against um, Vinicius Salvador, I don't remember the injury. Someone let me know. It's like either his orbital broke, his nose broke, his jaw broke. Like some crazy shit happened after that first knockdown. And the dude kept trying to fight. Like, so that's why they signed him. Like he's a tough ass dude. I respect the hell out of him. It's just, I don't know if he's got the durability required um, for what's going to come at him from Clay Jason. Because offensively speaking, as far as being a hammer, Clay Jason is disgusting. It's just as far as being a nail, Clay Jason is not the best. If you can really push the pace, make it a high-intensity fight, like that's where you beat Clay Jason. Just like when you fight Edson Barbosa, you have to make it a high-paced fight. If you just want to sit back and kickbox with Clay Jason Rodriguez, I mean, he's going to spinning back kick your head into the fifth row. I'm going to have to bring my baseball glove to catch it. You know what I'm saying? Get a signed souvenir. But, like, aside from that, like, if uh, – but the other thing – oh, yeah. he had So, Ross had appendicitis, and he went through all those knockdowns. That's what it was. Thanks, Moyes. And then uh, still got back up from the knockdowns and tried his best. So, they gave the guy a contract. Rightfully so. Tough dude. You earned your spot here in Australia, kid. It's just that – so let's say they do the slow-paced Clay Jason fight. Clay Jason's going to light him the fuck up. But let's say Shannon comes in here with the right game plan, pushes the pace, gets right in his face, closes that distance, like gives this guy no space to breathe. So on one hand, he does have a path to victory here. But on the other hand, when you get in the face of a guy like Clay Jason Rodriguez, you're going to leave openings. And we know that Shannon Ross is susceptible to, to going down. So even if he follows the right game plan, he still might get fucked up in this spot. So I think there will be another time to fade Clay Jason, especially you give me a guy that pushes a serious pace um, that's not going to be discouraged by what's coming at him or that at least has the durability, the durability to withstand it, then I then that's that's when you fade that's when you fade Clay Jason. But I'm not convinced Shannon has the durability or the goods. So I think this is a, a spot where Clay Jason can look good. can look like a future champ, can look like he's going to style. The kid's not a future champ, though. It's all matchup dependent with Clay Jason. And this is a matchup he can win. And this is a matchup I think he's going to win and possibly look explosive, dynamic, and get an insane amount of hype afterwards. So I'm going to go with uh, Clay Jason uh, Rodriguez to win this fight. Shannon Ross. Now, next up in the lightweight division, we got a match between Jaime Malaki. He's 15 and 5, taking on Francisco Prado, who is 11 and 0, repping Argentina. 
And currently, they got it. Hold on, let me just make sure I'm I'm, I'm viewing this right. So, currently they got it. Yeah, I was viewing it right. Holy shit. J- Jaime Malaki, minus 265. The comeback on Francisco Prado is plus 225. So, I mean, we know you know Jamie Malaki, man. I mean, Jamie Malaki, tough nose, gritty guy that's going to get in your face, that's going to try his best. Might not be the most athletic, but he's he's seasoned at this point. You know, he's had... You know, tw- 20 professional fights. I mean, there's a guy that was fighting Alexander Volkanovsky on his regional scene. Granted, he got knocked the fuck out brutally. But when you fight Alex on your on your regional scene and then you're like, hey, like, I accept the fact that you're that much better than me. I'm going to drop my I'm going to leave my ego at the door and I want to come train with you. That's that kind of shit I respect. Another thing I want to point out. So y'all remember how Jalen Turner you know, fucked up malarkey. But one thing I want to point out about that. For y'all that got a good eye, pay close attention because I was questioning, like, so is Jalen Turner chinny or did he just, you know, take some bad fights early on in his career? Like, what's the deal? Because he's been looking amazing. But y'all know back in the day, Jalen Turner used to get knocked the fuck out all the time. Pay close attention. Jamie Malarkey wobbled Jalen Turner badly in that fight. And the reason I bring that up is because my question was answered. Turner is still chinny. He's not a brand new man. Offensively speaking, oh my God, amazing. But the right guy is going to crack him, and that'll be the time. Now, back to this. As far as Malarkey and uh, Francisco Prado, look, Francisco, I, I mean, I like the kid. He's 20 years old. He's Argentinian. If, you, if you've ever met an Argentine before, like, if you ever dated an Argentine woman before, like, talk about fierce, talk about feisty, talk about, like, you're not going to win an argument. And subsequently, like, on, on this dude's regional scene, he wasn't going to lose a fight. You know what I mean? Like, uh, but now you're in the UFC. Now you're fighting the big boys. Uh, what I like about Francisco is in the pocket, he's going to swing. And on the ground, I think his best his best weapon is his ground and pound. He's got some disgusting ground and pound. And at only 20 years old, with this kind of experience, you're going to be seeing these big leaps every single time he fights so i expect there's a chance that we don't even recognize prado um in this fight actually i say that but that's probably not true because his last fight was in december that wasn't that long ago so not sure how many improvements he's made but still a few months for a kid that's 20 years old that is time to level up so um because the thing is this he hasn't fought anybody but like all the biggest stars had never fought anybody until they fought somebody so i still had to look him up to make sure this wasn't like the next john jones or some shit right like um and he's not he's just this green aggressive hungry kid um jamie malarkey should be able to kind of give him a bit of that vet lesson and by the way vet lesson was a term that was invented on half the battle you know the longest standing mma podcast back since 2015 but i know a lot of people have been using that line acting like it's just some common line but vet lesson was invented here just so you'll know, just like some of these other terms, I've been hearing a lot of people ripping off my lines. Imitation is the sincerest form of flattery, so I appreciate it. But just make sure y'all know where those lines originated from. But I can see a situation where Jamie Malarkey gives Francisco Prado that vet lesson, kind of, you know, might have to eat a couple licks along the way. But as the fight progresses, 
you know, start start establishing that jab, start getting off on some calf kicks, you know, an opportune takedown to 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 seal off the round. So I can see Malarkey coming out here, vet lessening this kid. The issue is Malarkey's a guy who's been prone to being dropped. Malarkey's a guy who's been prone to being knocked out. I mean, this kid, Francisco, has got nothing to lose, and this is a letdown spot. Reason being, Jamie was originally supposed to fight Nazrat Hackbrass. That's the kind of fight you're going to get up for. When you get the call to fight this random, unproven Argentinian kid that no one's ever heard of, you know, maybe, uh, I'm not saying this is true, but maybe Malarkey, you know, one of the mornings was like, ah, it's 6 a.m., I'm going to sleep in. I don't feel like doing my run. Or you know, maybe I'll eat this slice of pizza and, you know, have one cheat meal. Like, I I'm not saying that that's what happened. Maybe he's super disciplined, but just saying, like, going from Nazrat, who's an established guy, who, like, you get a win over him, it's going to it's gonna do good. Whereas here, you got a lot to lose fighting this kid. I mean, you you beat him. You were supposed to beat him. You lose to him. That's really bad. He just made his name off of you, right? So this is a dangerous fight for Jaime Malaki. But uh, I, I think all things considered, he's got the goods to win it. It's just about him showing up on fight night and doing it. And I'm going to pick him to do that. Now, next up in the featherweight division, we got a match between Jack, Jack Jenkins. He's 10-2, and two, taking on Don Shanus, who is 12-4. and four. Currently, they got it. Jack Jenkins, minus 350. The comeback on Don Shanus is plus 285 so i bet on jack jenkins at minus 315 i know it's chalky but i mean i think that there's a reason i bet him at that line i'm about to tell you what that reason is right now so all right let me tell you how familiar i am with don shanis so don shanis last loss prior to sodiq yusuf he actually fought one of my best friends nasty nate williams and nate um very good friend of mine i love nate like a brother um but nate is one of these guys that like He's, he's got all the skills. I mean, Nate's a black belt in jiu-jitsu. Nate is 5'11 with a 74-inch reach at featherweight. Like That's like longer reach than Max Holloway. Like uh, He's got volume on the feet. He's won fights via all kinds of submissions. Like Nate is a talented guy. It's just mentally sometimes Nate gets in his own way. That's why his record isn't as good as it could be. But like in the gym, Nate's like the fucking best guy. So Nate go Nate gets a short notice fight. My buddy Nate Williams gets a short notice fight with Don Shanus in Don Shanus's promotion over there in Boston. I think it was Boston, somewhere, somewhere in New England, right? And they go five rounds on short notice for Nate. And Nate uh Nate put it on Don Shanus. You know what I'm saying? Like he overcame all the bad spots and then you know backpacked him for rounds at a time and Got off on some good volume, like good shit, Nate. You know, you should have got that call instead. But Don Shanus, you know, after that fight, you know, he's fought a bunch of cans. Um, goes out there, kind of, you know, he, he's like the, this guy that's super short and stocky, and but not like in an Alexander Volkanovsky kind of way, <laughs> kind of in a jobber kind of way. And you know, he's gonna go out there and kind of ground and pound these bums he's been fighting. But, like, dude, that fight he, he had right before Sodiq Youssef against uh, Bryce. Uh, was it against Bryce Picard or was it the fight against uh, Chris Lencioni? I don't remember. One, it's either the Lencioni fight or the Bryce fight. But one of these fights, like, dude, like, Don Shanus did a chicken dance of chicken dances against one of these regional bums. And, like, I'm telling you, that kind of shit might fly. On the regional scene and i love the fact that he overcame it tough guy 100 
the thing is, a guy like Jack Jenkins knows how to close the show. These guys at the UFC, you give them that one little opening and it's over with. Like in the Sodiq fight, <laughs> when you want to talk about levels, like when Sodiq doesn't even have to eat a punch and Sodiq can, you know, pull guard with a guillotine, like, like Sodiq, like I know he comes from an amazing jujitsu gym and like I know he's got a, a ground game, but like when Sodiq's going to start fighting the Bryce Mitchells and the Taporias and the Evloevs, um, Sodiq's not going to be out here pulling guillotines against these guys, is what I'm trying to say. He can get away with it against a regional guy like Don Shanus. And, and basically the point I'm trying to make here is that Don Shanus is being brought into this fight for one reason and one reason only, to showcase Jack Jenkins. And let me talk about Jack Jenkins for a second. So y'all... Some of y'all might only know Jack, Jack Jenkins from his contender series fight where it looked like, man, this guy's a badass wrestler. But if you actually go back and watch his fights, that's typically not how he fights. The way this guy fights is he's a very methodical striker. This guy fights behind his jab. Once you start, once, you know, he starts watering up your eye with his jab, that's when he starts attacking that calf kick. You start getting worried about that calf kick. That's when he starts switching stances. That's when he starts ripping to the body. Like, this guy is a nasty, methodical striker. Very influenced by Volk. Trains with Volk. I like everything about him. And the fact that his normal style is kind of like a methodical striking style, and then he goes on contender series and shows like, hey, like I can wrestle too. Because on his regional fights, I knew he could defensively wrestle. I knew that when people would take him down, he'd pop right back up. But now I know that he can offensively take you down, hold you down, and embarrass you on the mat too. So for a prospect making their debut, like you know, I think this guy can be a future top 20 guy. I think he can be possibly towards the end of the top 15 one day. But one thing, you know, that doesn't matter. You don't need to be a top 15 guy to beat Don Shanus. So I'll tell you right that. I'll tell you that right now. You can be a regional guy and beat him. So what I think is going to happen this first round, you know, Don Shanus is probably going to go balls to the wall, try to make something happen. But Jack is still going to be there. And Jack is going to be making investments and deposits. And what I mean by investments and deposits are calf kicks, body shots, bloodying up his nose, making his eye water, making it to where like the takedown entries significantly slow down the umph they have behind them. And, and eventually I think Jack Jenkins is going to finish this guy. So that's why I was willing to lay, you know, minus 315 on him. Um, so Jack Jenkins is my first bet of the night as of right now. Um, I plan to have more, you know, later on, but as of this recording here, um, that's what I have. But y'all know where to check out my bets, bet MMA tips, bet MMA dot tips slash best fight picks or on Twitter at best fight picks. Um, so y'all, y'all already know where to find my stuff, but I think Jack Jenkins comes over, comes out here and I think he breaks this guy. So yeah, I got Jack Jenkins here. Um, now next up in the strawweight division, we got a match between Loma Lukbumi. She's seven and three taking on Elise Reed, who is six and two. Currently they got it. Loma minus 275. Elise Reed is plus 230. So two strikers. Um, you know, Elise Reed, you know, she is she is a striker. That's what she's known for. Uh Loma, obviously, too. The thing is, like, finally Loma gets the fight she wants. Hey, Loma, there's no takedown threat here. You can literally come out here, show off all your striking techniques, and guess what, Loma? If you want to mix in takedowns here, 
by all means, because I think Loma can mix and take us. I think Loma can get top control. I think there's a chance Loma can pound her out. I think there's a chance Loma can submit her if she wants to test out those areas of her game. But if she's just like, hey, I know Elise is going to give me the fight I want on the feet, uh, go go out there and show off your uh, striking that people have been talking about for years. So, yeah, I got Loma. Uh, most likely unanimous decision, but I wouldn't write off a finish here. I'm not a, an Elise Reed believer. Now, this next one is in addition to the Randy Brown fight is probably the hardest fight for me to call on the entire call uh, on the entire card. And that is the featherweight matchup between Blake Bildery, seven Oh and one taking on Shane young, who is 13 and six currently they got it. No, best fight odds is all over the place to a point where like you can't even find these fucking hold on. There we go. <laughs> Your best fight odds is a joke, man. You got to use fight odds from now on. Anyways, currently they got it minus 135 Shane Young. The comeback on Blake Builder is plus 115. All right, here, here's my take. So, firstly, I've faded Shane Young his last two fights in a row against Ludovic Klein. I think I got dog odds on Ludovic Klein against Shane Young. Easy work. And then against Omar Morales. Like Shen Young made uh, Ludovic Klein look like Conor McGregor, and he made Omar Morales look like he's not 36 years old. So Shane Young, the positive, he's landed over 100 significant strikes in more than one UFC fight. So like, guy's got output, very durable, just a tough guy. The downside is he's very slow, he's very hittable, just journeyman job or just not just not that guy so initially when this match when this matchup was made i was like oh i get to fade shane young again <laughs> like you know i was champing at the bit but then i watched blake builder and it's like fuck like man so the thing with blake builder is he like gets his ass whooped every single fight and then like finds a comeback which i respect that quality in people like you know i'm a huge cheeto vera fan but the thing about Cheeto Vera, you know, it's one thing when it's like, you know, you get one comeback, you know, you can't write a whole dude's career. You can't, you can't just be reliant on comebacks unless you're talking about Cheeto Vera. Cause he's done it like fucking a hundred times. And like, he's got the most finishes in Bantamweight history. So that's an exception to the rule. The thing with Blake builder is like, I've seen him like just get laid on for like a round and a half and then pull off a miracle triangle. I've seen him get dropped and get his ass whooped by complete bums. And, just find a way to take their back somehow. So, like, I love the toughness. Oh, yeah, and I want to say this. That rear naked choke he hit on Alex Morgan on uh, Contenders, the technique of that was beautiful. That was nasty. And he's a built, cocked guy. He's strong. He's confident. Very susceptible to calf kicks. On a side note, let me say something about Blake Builder that just as a man I respect and is the reason I'm rooting for him in this fight. So he mentioned how, like, you know, he um, wants to spread awareness for anxiety because he struggled with anxiety. And I can relate to that because I struggle with anxiety too. A lot of people might not believe it. Like my friends tell me, like, dude, you're like the most charismatic guy. And it's like, you never truly know what, what someone's going through, right? And I'm not asking for any, you know, nothing. I'm just telling y'all, like, I suffer from anxiety. So Blake Builder mentioned that he suffers from anxiety too. 
And he mentioned that the symptoms of anxiety he had were like literally the exact same uh, anxiety symptoms that I had. So um, I like the fact that he's spreading awareness about that. So like for me with like my anxiety, I, I don't get that shit where like my hands get clammy or sweaty or like, like I like public speaking and, and stuff. Like my anxiety is different. My anxiety is like, I'll get like a shortness of breath. Like it feels like you're gasping for air. And that's exactly how Blake Builder described his anxiety. And I think the reason he had it is because I think his, don't quote me on it. I could be wrong. I think his brother committed suicide, which man, you know, condolences. I can, I can, I can understand why you went through the shit you went through. And, and for me, it was like, you know, during the pandemic, sh taking the gym away from me, which is my therapy, you know, that's how I developed anxiety. So when I heard Blake Builder talk about that and how he wants to spread awareness right away, I know this is not, you know, fight breakdown related, but just personal human related, like, I'll root for this guy all day. Like you're spreading awareness for a very good cause that, you know, people deal with like respect, dude, especially because I suffer from that too, from anxiety. So like much respect, like, but as far as this matchup is concerned, I was just really bummed out that there was like not a definitive edge for Blake builder. Like with Omar, it's like, bro, Omar is so much better striker than Shane Young. I was like, wait, I get to bet on, Omar Morales against a punching bag, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And then against uh, Ludovic Klein making his debut, like I get to bet on an explosive dynamic striker against a punching bag. Hey, I'm all in, but now it's punching bag versus punching bag. So I don't know. I really, don't, I want to pick Blake Biller just because he's the underdog and I fucking love his cause. I love what he stands for. And I want that message getting out there that like, it can happen to anyone, man. Like anyone can suffer from anxiety. A young, confident guy like me can suffer from anxiety. A badass UFC fighter like Blake Builder can suffer from anxiety. So it can happen to anyone. So the fact that he's spreading awareness, I just can't help but not root for him. But as far as making a pick, I'm just not sure. Cause it's like, I think young has an edge in terms of output. And I, you know, I love my output guys. But I think that Blake Builder can take him down. I saw Omar Morales take him down. And the thing about Builder is that even though he might be losing minutes in fights, when he has his moments, he puts the stamp on things. So, yeah, I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm going to go with Blake Builder. Uh, you don't, I recommend probably not listening to me about that because it's more of like I'm rooting for him because of what he stands for and because I love picking against Shane Young. But I don't have a really good read on that fight. So that's it. All right, so we did the whole... Oh, uh, no, we didn't. Last but not least in the featherweight division, we got Zubera Tukugav. He's 20-5, and five, taking on Elvis Brenner, who's 13-3. Currently, they got it. Zubera, minus 540, the comeback on Elvis, plus 420. But again, plus 420 action uh, after this podcast, if you know what I mean. But, hey... Uh, Listen, Zuba has been in there with a lot of good guys ever since the beginning. Zuba's got a dynamic left hook. Zuba can wrestle. Zuba trains all these guys in Dagestan. You already know what he brings to the table. It's just uh, you guys don't know what Elvis brings to the table. What Elvis brings to the table, he's um, a shoot-the-box guy. So you know he's going to walk forward. He's going to throw big bombs. But he is able to be neutralized. He is able to be shut down. Um, and I think that's exactly what's going to happen here. But to give him credit, I mean, got some very slick submissions you got some nasty ground and pound 
And he's he's a shoot the box guy, so he can finish fights. He's dangerous, but Zuba so damn experienced, so seasoned, and he's this price for a reason. So I think that dynamic left hook is going to be a weapon. I think he's going to be able to stuff any shots coming from Brenner and then actually land takedowns of his own. Whether it's a finish or a decision, I'm not sure. Um, we can talk about fading Zuba down the line. Just not Saturday night. I think Zuba is going to come out here, welcome this kid to the UFC, and we'll take it from there. All right, guys. So I'm going to talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. And after that, I'm down to answer any questions y'all got, and uh, we'll get out of here. All right. So the fight to watch. I mean, I think y'all know what the fight to watch is. The fight to watch is Yair Rodriguez versus Josh Emmett, man. I mean, like two of the best guys fighting for the interim title. Um, and it's just because we don't know when Volk's going to come back. It's not. We're not trying to discredit Volk, no, nothing like that. It's just more so we don't know when he's coming back. But you got one of the most dynamic, original, flashy, unique guys in Yair Rodriguez who can do things that other guys simply can't, taking on the most powerful guy in the featherweight division. I mean, facts, big facts. I mean, most knockdowns in featherweight history. So, And he's got a wrestling background, too. Don't forget about that. And he's 38. This is his last chance. So, man. That, that is my fight to watch. Am I fighter to watch? I'll give you a couple. You know, Jack Jenkins, I was impressed with him, and I think he's got a match where, like, let's come out here and showcase all our skills. Jack Jenkins, definitely one of them. Uh, Randy and Jack. I want, I want, I want to know what's going to happen between Randy and Jack. Like, Randy is not just – like, if you can walk through Randy Brown, like, hey, dude, like, that means you really are that guy. And I think he really is that guy even if he loses this fight. I don't think people are exempt from roadblocks, man. Um, and Randy, like, is a stiff test. Randy's been in the UFC a long time. Randy's fought the best of the best. Randy's, you know, Randy's a dangerous, dangerous guy. So, and experienced and seasoned, paid his dues. So, yeah, I think my fighters to watch are, are Randy Brown, Jack Della Maddalena, and, and Jack Jenkins. So, yeah. All right. Thank you guys very much. Now it's we're at the fan Q&A portion. So I'm going to scroll up all the way to the top of the chat, read what y'all said, and then leave me some more comments at the bottom. And before you do that, smash the like button, hit the subscribe button. After this is over, leave me a comment on the video, and then also please share on all social media. I really appreciate it. All right, so now I'm down to answer these questions. So let me see what y'all got for me. Um, fight game, where is MMA genius? I'm right here, bro. But if you're talking about someone else, go go check out my Santos versus Ankalaev breakdown. First five minutes, all that's explained. Um, Abu Dhabi says, my man knows what's up. Dan, what do you think about all this Volk pound-for-pound champ? Get real. No, he ain't. Makachev is. Well, he is the pound-for-pound champ until Saturday, right? If that changes, right? Um Abu Dhabi also said, I love these motherfuckers talking about Volking disrespected. Yeah, I mean, it's just more so you see a price like that on a fighter of that caliber, and I can see why someone would be tempted. You just have to put context into who he's fighting. You know what I'm saying? Um, 420 said, Volk was playing rugby when Islam was nonstop grappling. Big facts. Um, Fila said, Islam said he wants to finish this fight by KO. He mentioned it in his interview. He said he was told he told everyone he'd finish Oliver by sub, and he did it. This time he's saying it'll be a KO. Maybe. Talk is cheap, but we'll see. 
Both guys have been KO'd before, so you never know. Um, my boy Lou said, smash like button, like how <laughs> Islam will smash Volk. <laughs> that's funny. Abu Dhabi said, good info on Bilal and Makachev. That's the content I came here for. Good shit, Dan. I'm about to throw another for you on Makachev. Good luck, man. Sounds like you're all in. Um, I mean, this is the kind of fighter you want to go all in on. It's just his opponent is not a joke. Um, 420 says, Minty bets is on over 2.5, so Makachev rolls and gets it done. Um, is she, like, not good at betting? I don't know. I just, I think we follow each other. Seems like a cool chick, man, so know if she's good or not or whatever seems like a nice girl you know we can go out for a drink and get to know each other sometime if i'm ever in that in, uh, in vegas um let's see what else y'all got for me bn on says there's weight classes for a reason yeah there are but then there's also guys who have won that champ champ status um <laughs> there's levels to this <laughs> that Corey anderson yeah there's levels to this. that's why you're in bellator buddy um let's see let's see let's see oh yeah about the press conference with dana forgetting islam's name dude it was 4 a.m i don't remember my own name at 4 a.m um let's see dirty reg says cater won that fight eh, agree to disagree but either way, if you laid minus 300 on a split decision, that was a bad bet, period, regardless of who you scored it for. And not to mention, uh, Cater was gun-shy with that power coming at him for three rounds. Let's see. Let's see how uh, Yair reacts. Yair's got way better footwork than Cater, though. Um, my boy said, I remember now, end of the year robbery was man pre. Who? Uh, never heard of him um my boy random malakis random marco says max was looking like a d1 wrestler against him that was not a great look max was not looking like a d1 wrestler they were having a war and in wars the element you know the element of surprise is huge in war it's not like yair was training a whole camp to get ready for a wrestler he was getting ready for a volume guy now he's getting ready for you know a d1 wrestler with big power in his hand so i think he'll be a little bit more ready for it just and you just got to put context into the dynamic of the max and yair fight that that was like a back and forth war shit happens um my boy clint what's up he said only 27 likes for the ball game come on now yeah, that's fucked up man there's like a hundred of y'all in here and only 27 likes like come on show me some love um random says gut feeling uh jack della beats him up very hard to justify the line based on what we've seen out of him yep R. Sadie said, did I miss prelimpics? No, you didn't. I start with the main event, go down to the prelims. You can always you know, slide back and check it out. Um, let's see. Marcus said, UFC and better show Randy Brown in good spirits, but he is unpredictable to me as a fighter. Yeah, he's unpredictable, but he's also minus, he's also plus 260, plus 270. So it's not like I'm, it's not like he's minus 260, minus 270. Um, Doughboy asked me, is there any fighter you dislike more than Alex? I mean, Alex Hernandez. I don't even dislike Alex Hernandez. I just like bringing up certain things. You know, he disrespected legends of the sport. Um, he keeps talking in a certain, with a certain arrogance uh, that uh, I don't mind making fun of. But do I actually dislike him? No, I don't know the guy. Maybe he's actually a cool guy. I don't know. But, yeah, it's fun to make fun of certain things. Um, like, I don't... For me to actually dislike someone, there needs to be like a legitimate reason. Like, uh, 
stealing money from me. Lock, lock at night. <laughs> you know, like some, some bullshit like that. And then acting like the victim. Like that, those are guys I don't like. Alex, I just think is cringe. My boy, YBB Sports Data said, I just came here to say I was wrong about Jamal Hill and you were right. With that being said, let's cash. Yeah, it's okay. I've been wrong many times before, but as long as you're on the Jamal Hill train now, that's all that matters, my man. It's all about learning from mistakes. Um, KCOH said, I haven't been to this channel in some time, but I noticed last couple of cards, what happened to Shaq? Uh, I already addressed that. Uh, Shaq left the show and the um, Santos Ankalaev card. So, yeah, I wish him the best. Um. <laughs> uh, Renee said Parker Porter sounds like a sandwich from Arby's. That's fucking hilarious. I'm gonna I'm gonna present that idea to their CEO, and if they accept it, I'll give you half, even though it was your idea. <laughs> uh, let's see what else y'all got. Dominic says back in black. Smash that like, boys. That's right. Smash that like, boys. Um, B Rizzle says he doesn't think crew can be trusted. I understand. I understand. Um, but he also told me that Zoe looked the best he's ever looked. Yeah, because he was fighting a fucking corpse. <laughs> um, and that fight lasted like two minutes. Let me see what he looks like two minutes into round three. Then we can talk brand new man. Um, Steven asked me who's my UK football team uh, I like some of the Spanish teams I like uh, Real um, but honestly man it's all about the ATL United bro you know I fuck with ATL United and my international team I actually like Ar Argentina because back in the day we had my boy um, Higuain you know, you know about my boy Gonzalo Higuain I always loved how he played the game um Dirty Reg said he loves plus money on Kulabau. Kulabau is minus 110, bro. Um, <laughs> he said, hit us again with the Shannon Ross. Um, all right, let's see. If there's anything else, I'm going to address it. If not, <laughs> Brian said, Argentine women will cut your wang off and shove it in your mouth if you cheat. No, thanks. Yeah, my experience wasn't quite like that, but uh, it was still, I mean, she's an amazing chick, probably one of the most beautiful on the inside and out um but yeah definitely uh definitely feisty definitely fierce and uh i just love the spirit of the argentine women and the brazilians the brazilians will do things that you've never you never knew were possible man it's, yeah we can talk we can we, see the thing about, that's cool about half the battle is that that name half the battle doesn't just have to be about mma it can be about all areas of life so my goal down the line is uh i'd like to talk about all kinds of things don't get me wrong we're still gonna have our fight breakdown shows wednesday at 3 p.m eastern that's not changing but i want to expand and talk about other things because you know my boys got to bring up my argentine and brazilian women you know we got you know we can spend a couple hours talking about that um all right let me see what else y'all got for me daz says don is a bum bro jack smoke and then yeah, I think bum at UFC level, but not bum at regional at regional level. And he seems like a nice kid. I like him. It's just it's just business. That's all it is. It's just business, my man. Um, Daz says I'm riding with Blake on this one. Young is terrible. Okay, but how's Builder? 
Like what's Builder good at? Getting his ass whooped and then coming back, right? Um, Dad said, young ain't got no hands, no head movement, low fight IQ, average grappling. Blake's ability to take his uh, opponent's back is pretty fucking good. Okay. I agree with Blake's ability to take the back, but what does Blake have hands? Does Blake have head movement? Does Blake have fight IQ? Does you know what I'm saying? So yeah. Um I'm I'm rooting for Blake. I love the kid's story. I love what he stands for. And I love fading Shane Young. But for me to see plus money against Shane Young and not jump all over it shows you that I wasn't as impressed as I wanted to be with Builder. see um josh boo said what did i think about japanese connor versus uh adam fuggett last week i mean it sucked because i had uh japanese connor but you know that's part of the game i thought he was looking good early and then he got clipped and just didn't recover so it was what it was but i don't think any differently of fugit going forward i still think he's that below average guy that the ufcpi said he was that doesn't mean he can't win a fight um, but this is long term to me, and I think long term he doesn't do better than a one and one and two or one and three or one and four in the UFC. So I will be looking to fade him his next fight. And with Kinoshota, he's just a kid. I want to give him another chance. Uh, you know, people get caught. It was what it was. Uh, it sucked to lose. I hate losing, but um, like I don't think my read on Fugit was wrong. I just think my pick for that specific fight was wrong. My dog, Marcus Williams. Great show today. Thanks. Make sure y'all check him out. The Nubian bookstore. You know what I'm saying? JC said, Shane Young, big time champion for men's mental health in New Zealand where men's suicide stats are crazy. Hey, well, I respect that too, man. So, hey, so it's two guys fighting for a great cause, man. Um, I guess the reason I related more with Builder was just because the exact, you know, the anxiety thing, that's like literally something I suffer with. So, that's why I like, and, and the exact symptom he had, the way he described it was like what I went through. So that's why um, you know, I can just relate to him, but all respect to Shane Young for that, man. Like anyone that's you know, trying to break that stigma, I respect. Dad said, how many takedowns do you think Islam will get? Fuck, I don't know, bro. Um, did I hear Islam's comment about Dana not promoting the card enough? Yeah, but like, they usually like promote it on the week of the fight. People were crying about it not being promoted, like while other fights were happening. So, if this week there's no promotion, then okay. But I think it was a little bit too early. I think they jumped the gun on those comments, and you know, people love shitting on the UFC for any reason. Um, and there are reasons to shit on the UFC, like getting rid of Francis. But um, the not promoting this fight, I think, is a bit of a stretch. Um, Hill versus Jiri. Do I have any thoughts on that fight? You know my thoughts on that fight. You know, you know exactly my thoughts on that fight. And still, um, Marcus said, uh, "Saeed Yakub cut from the UFC." True, if true, crazy. I don't know if he was cut. I think they probably just didn't re-sign him. Um, yeah, I mean, listen, the kid is good, relentless wrestler, but he probably wasn't going to go that far in the division and. They just didn't have plans for him. And also, he also said, like, he tweeted a couple of weeks ago, how, like, you know, if he didn't win his next fight, he was going to retire. So I don't even know if that kid's even thinking about being a champion. So, yeah, it is what it's not. I mean, you hate to see someone lose their job, but, you know, 
I remember, I remember like people when, when like some random dude like gets released, people act like the UFC is never going to be the same. It's like, stop, stop, guys, stop. Renee said, I bet you, you being a former drummer helps with your grip in BJJ. More than my grip, it helps with my rhythm. It helps with um, my, my mental headspace, just like staying calm and um, just being ready to go to the bitter end because um, the drumming requires like a lot of stamina, especially if you're playing a long show. So more than the grip, it's like really just like the, the creativity and the awareness. And yeah, there's a lot that goes uh, side by side with music and martial arts prediction for johnny munoz jr or danny willie daniel willie catch i don't know who i got in that one man there's no odds yet so i don't want to say something and fuck up the line for everybody y'all know who i got um small world said dan you see my comment about modestus leg on a 12-hour flight from london i think it's relevant i didn't but if you can leave that comment again i'll uh I'll put it up on the screen. I didn't see it though. Cash bag says salute Dan. Keep up the good work, brother. I appreciate that, my brother. Thank you so much. Um, four twenty said no stopping the MMA talk until after the Beverly Hill Ninja co-headlines the card of the year. Yeah, I mean, uh, Beverly Hill Ninja co-headlining a UFC card was not my bingo card. And the thing that sucks about it is I I, I like to fade Beverly Hills Ninja, and this guy he's fade he's fighting. I'm not even sure if I can do the Beverly Hills fade. So, Marcus said, if you were made the president of Bellator, what would be the top three changes you would do to make Bellator more competitive with the UFC? Um, well, one of the issues with Bellator is they have events like once every 10 years. So, no one gives a shit. Um, but what I will give them credit for is like all their champions are paid, man. Like their champions are pretty well taken care of so like you don't see them complaining too often um so what changes would i make to bellator so like what's the thing here's what you gotta understand about bellator when you watch a ufc card the first fight of the night is already ufc caliber guys right um like you'll see like daniel santos daniel willie cat santos for example versus julio arce be a first fight of the night on a ufc card whereas the first um fight of the night on a bellator card first like five fights it's usually like local fights right it's like usually like local guys from that city trying to sell tickets that's some shit you'll never see in the ufc and i don't know what the financials are for bellator maybe they have to do that to stay afloat but uh i don't know uh i think bellator has some great champions for sure and some great fighters and i love how they sent off fader with all the legends so there's certain things i like but there's certain things I don't like. I'd get rid of Josh Thompson. Can't fucking stand him. Um, yeah. And just try to put on more exciting fights. Like, I feel like sometimes their matchmaking isn't the best to create exciting fights. When was the last time there was, like, a fight of the year in Bellator? It's been a while, right? So, yeah. Uh, they, they need a lot of work. PFL, though, they've been doing some big things, man. I've been very impressed with PFL. All right, so Small World said um how's the 12 hour plane flight from london gonna affect modestas bukowski's leg sat down for a long time it's a horrendous it's a horrific injury as is might seize up short notice too 
dude, I'm not a doctor. I don't know. I mean, I'm already picking him to lose, so I don't know. Hopefully, he's got like a compression sleeve and some ice. I don't fucking know, bro. Like, I really have no idea how that impacts his fight. Or I just know what I think of him as a fighter, and I think he's a guy with tall man defense and not the most output. I think the early going is going to be tough, but if he can extend it, maybe he's got something. But as far as the injury, my medical opinion is worth jack shit. So I don't, I don't have an answer for you. Um, all right. Anything else? Last call, last call. If not, I'm getting out of here. Um, truly grateful for all you guys being here with me. Um, thank you guys very much. So make sure you all hit the like button, hit the subscribe button. Um, comment after this is done share all that truly appreciate it and also take advantage of brett apley's offer um basically you get uh this next this next card 284 20 dollars off any monthly package at a uh, dailyfanmma.com slash bfp uh the promo codes are all on there and i think you'll get a lot out of it so thank you guys um, and thank you, Brett Apley, for sponsoring today's episode of the show. All right, so I'll be back whenever the next card is. I got some cool stuff planned, but I'll announce all that later. And again, just grateful for all your support over the years, guys. Thank you very much. You know, little things like hitting the like button, leaving me comments, or even just you know on, on Twitter leaving me comments or sending me messages. I read them all. Um, so. Yeah, thank you guys again for everything. I'm truly grateful. So everybody, best of luck this weekend. Um, I'll see you guys next time. And until that next time, let's cash these bets.